0: Thanks for coming. So my brother-in-law, Mikey Delek, actually corrected me. This should be the biblical worldview as opposed to the Christian worldview loosely because the Christian worldview encompasses many, 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 many things. But what I want you to get out of it, I think, is it's going to be a kind of a lecture format. We can have some questions at the end depending on how much time we have. But what I really, really want you to take away is an inspiration to study, wrestle, and in the context of dialogue with believers and with, with other people that aren 't believers, the truths of the Bible, why we believe them, and why these are really the answers that our world is desperately looking for. Getting into the main meat of the, of the forum, some context to set the tone, and then basically I want to I had a really hard time praying and thinking about like the Christian worldview I mean it 's like a five year course you know in, in university it's like, what do you talk about? but I, I would, I, there's three kind of key points that are based on a, a study I did recently on Francis Schaeffer's book, uh, The God Who Is There, which I recommend. And I'd like to share some of the things I gleaned from that with you, basically. But some context first. So let's talk about Picasso. Picasso was a genius. He was an amazing artist. He had a 79-year career. His parents were both excellent artists and The reason I wanna bring up Picasso is, well, Schaefer talks about it a little bit, but I think it's a really interesting example of using it, you know, back then it already had the the trappings of what was going on. So one of the things I wanna really stress is that what's noteworthy about Picasso is his progression of different styles and forms through his work. It just, they're radically different as you can see here. This is sort of his progression by examples of his work I mean, this is when he was 15. That's his mom on the left. It's beautiful. I mean, it's a, what an amazing picture. To an altar boy, to the old guitarist, to he got into cubism, looking at um, some of Cezanne's paintings, and then into surrealism. And I want to talk about some of the evolution of his, his, his work. So it's really interesting. Schaefer has this really interesting book called um, How Should We Then Live? And he traces sort of how thought has evolved through... Art through history, through music, through literature, um, basically from like Rome until like you know the the late 20th century. He passed away, I think, in the early 80s. But these are some of his ideas. So look what he says: the beautiful painting of his mother, towards abstracted women, for example, and then finally towards sort of even everything. And Schaefer claims that Picasso sought a universal, or he created his own world on the canvas, but eventually lost contact with the people in his paintings and hence lost communication. But what's really... Right? I mean, I don't know. What do you think, right? Um, and uh, it's really interesting. He, you know what he wrote? So there was this issue. Why would books... Why would you do that on a painting? Why would you write? Why would you write this? And the idea is that the communication in his painting right, has no logical relationship to the subject of his canvas. That's why you're all laughing. right? His, his abstraction here carried to its reality that I can tell. And so what's, the solution he came up with was this illogical leap. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense because there's no real clear connection. But I think this illustrates, um, we could talk a lot more about that, but I think this illustrates modern man's problem. The loss of communication and alienation. Bore much fruit around us lately, as you see. I think in it. Invest. <clears throat> you know, I mean, there's just, what is real? I suggest watching the documentary, What is a Woman by Matt Walsh. It's, a, it's enlightening. Differing concept of what's real. What is reality? Just going. Yeah, there we go. So the saving the soul, saving the mind came from uh, this Lebanese statesman believer, Charles Malik. And when he was at the Billy Graham Center in 1980, when he was sort of commissioning it to open it up, he had this, this quote, and I want to read it fast. Um, I'm going to have a number of these. There's a little bit of reading, but let's get, let's get moving. We've got, to get into, we've got to get into some thoughts. He says, I must be frank with you, the greatest danger confronting American evangelical Christianity, this is 1980, is the danger of anti-intellectualism. The mind and its apart from profound immersion for a period of years in the history of thought and the spirit. People who are in a hurry to get out of the university, start earning money, serving in the church, preaching the gospel, have no idea the infinite value of spending years of leisure conversing with the greatest minds and souls. The thinking is vacated and abdicated to the enemy. Who among evangelicals can stand up to the greatest scholars on their own terms of scholarship? Well, I think a lot of people took his claim seriously because, especially in philosophy departments, there's, there's been a big... You know, in the last 40-some years, there's. Been... Okay. Who among evangelical scholars is quoted as a normative source by the greatest secular authorities on history, philosophy, psychology, sociology, politics? Does the evangelical mode of thinking have the slightest chance of becoming the dominant mode in the great universities of Europe and America that stamp our entire civilization with their spirit and ideas? For the sake of greater effectiveness in witnessing to Jesus Christ, as well as for their own sense, cannot afford to keep on living on the periphery of responsible intellectual existence. Quite a quote. I mean, boom. Are we engaged in that sense? So that's sort of the broader context. Biblically, um, I want to link this form with my brother's form, Tim Munther, who had a, he had a worldview form at, at Pine Valley. And I think this, this verse, uh, 1 Peter 3.15, this is in the context of suffering. Peter's where we want to go. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, as Lord. Always being prepared. So the red is what I want to focus on in our form. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that, li- for the hope that li- is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect concept. I suggest you check out who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. That means you're logically discussing things with people. You're, you're convincing people of, of things. You're discussing why you believe that Jesus is God and that he saved you. And again, this is in the context of always honoring Christ the Lord as holy. So that's where we want to we focus on the red. So let's set a couple more things for context. If you were God, God how... understandable in a way that you could distinguish it from other messages, how would you, authentic... so how would you be self-authenticating? Well, we have a clue here in Second Peter. So Peter says, this is a very interesting passage, again, as Christ, but we're eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves, you know? You can shout it out. Transfiguration. Transfiguration. That's right. What an experience that must have been. Right? He, they, he wanted to build sort of hangout spots for him and the boys up there. What does he say, though? This is really interesting contrast. Verse 19. And we have the propension as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was... Peter's saying here? He's really giving us the basis and the sub, You know, it's, it's believing sort of without evidence, or it's believing even with that little thought in the back of your head that that's probably not true, right? Belief without evidence. Have you heard that before? I mean, that's the, that's the his transfiguration experience, looking at Christ to objective, fulfilled prophecy and space-time history in the Word. Then he gives it a specific ordering, right? He's saying these historical facts, prophecy, that you can check historically, you should take those more seriously than my own experience and Word as far as what I saw. You follow me? I don't think that's blind faith. He's arguing for evidence and he's arguing for something checkable, right? Come check and go see. Right? Versus, you know, a lot of people like to bring up the blind faith concept with Thomas, which is very interesting. They don't read, you know, Blessed are those who believe, who haven't seen me, right? Jesus says. But no one reads the next verse. Why did John write his gospel? These things are written so that you might believe. Like, boom, I have this whole gospel of evidence. All these miracles, all this evidence, all these things. Like, come on. How can it be blind faith? No, no. So this is sort of, to me, the main, the main answer to the question, how would you authenticate yourself, is through prophecy. That's checkable historically. Now, we can't get into all that, all the details. That's, again, that's, that's one year of the... Specifically, to think about a couple of prophecies, like the prophecy of Daniel's weeks and Daniel 9. Do you know, Do you have you studied that to a point where you can discuss that with somebody? Faith. It's amazing. Now, there are some... You know, it's not exactly 100% cut and dry. We can't be 100% dogmatic. But basically, it's, it's not clear exactly what starting point there is. There's we predicts Jesus, and we can validate Jesus being there, whether it's the start of his ministry or the year of his death, without the New Testament. That's beautiful. You know, we can use Roman historian sources who didn't like Christians to date that. How about the servant songs in Isaiah? Isaiah 53. Boom. How about the regathering of Israel that was already fulfilled? About archaeology. Right? There's a lot of criticism against the Old Testament, the New Testament, right? You have, for example, like Bart Ehrman, um, Christian who went to Moody, I believe, and became an atheist. He compares the Gospels, the early progression between when the gospel events happened, to when they were written, to like the game of telephone in the Roman Empire. But the telephone's a bad example, it's more like karate. Telephone, you try to corrupt the message karate you try to preserve the message right very different what's my point here my point is have you looked into the archaeological evidence say for the Old Testament I got a question uh, once like there's no archaeological evidence for the exodus therefore I don't believe the Bible how would you respond to that have you looked into it what evidence of the study of names on a mastic by the distribution of names right in the region in the gospels they did how do we know that? Good thing to think about. Maybe you should go study it and think about it. All those ideas, these really need our, they really need our attention. Because why? They, they really justify and give us very concrete, checkable evidence that God is actually there and he has actually spoken to us. How can you predict the future? Specific details, impossible unless you know the future, right? We're not talking about like Nostradamus type prophecies. Again, I'm sort of an argument that there are a lot of arguments that this is true, this is real, this is worth thinking about. But let's move on. There's three things I want to hear in a sense. And again, this is, my, this is me going to be taking a lot of stuff from Schaefer. We want to look at knowledge. We want to look at communication and love. And then we want to look at the gospel, man's dilemma and the solution. Those three things. So has spoken. That provides us a foundation for actually believing that there's a reality that we can know. He's spoken, he's there, he's said things about reality. We can check some of them. Therefore we So his revelation in the Bible of the Bible and history we can think about, we can understand with our minds and for God. It's a good book to read. Evolutionists claim... So I think this is a really, really interesting point. The main main idea is in the red. Evolutionists are fitness, our survival as humans. But if we can't trust our mental faculties to tell us the truth about God, why should we trust them to provide us the truth about anything at all, even evolutionary science? Natural selection, this is the point, preserves what helps us survive, not truth of reality. It does. That's what evolutionary theorists go back and say, we can trust our reasoning for our minds based on logic and observation, like processing evidence for God. anything at all. And then, like, so it's like, let's stop talking. I think it's a, it's a brilliant point. Again, I'm just going to skim over these. <coughs> God communicates truly, but not exhaustively. What do you mean? Well, I mean, we mean that like... So, you, so again, this is sort of a, a plug for studying and thinking about what's around us. You can't conclude that scientific, historic, you know, mathematical, sociological, anything-ical study is a waste of time. And in fact, we have commissions in the Word to go out and study nature, right? Assert your influence over it if you have no understanding of what's going on at all. It doesn't make any sense. Psalms are for There's orders to create a science world... And this is, I think, really important god 's communication I mean I 'm in science, I 'm in the science world. you know I 'm constantly getting people that have totally different worldviews and who think, like why does science explain things at all? Why does it work? I think we have, a, I think we have the best answer as, as Christians. god's communication provides it why science works, it's repeatable, right? How do you explain the regularity? of natural law in the universe. I mean, you can take the stone and you drop it and you drop it and you drop it and you drop it and it keeps falling, right? You can do it a hundred thousand times. It's gonna keep falling. Maybe most of them, I guess, right? There's a chance it may not. Probably it keeps falling. Here's John Lennox's uh, quote from God's Undertaker, another interesting book. God is not an alternative to science as an explanation. He is not to be understood merely as a God of the gaps. He is the ground of all explanation. You see the difference? He's the reason why we can explain and understand. It is his existence which gives rise to the very possibility of explanation, scientific or otherwise. It's important to stress this because influential authors like Dawkins and lots of other people will insist on conceiving of God, and this is a lazy conception, as an explanatory alternative to science. No serious Christian or thinker claims that. No one's saying that. There's lots of Christians who do serious science and they're serious believers. Again, that's a huge epistemology, how do we know we know things? That's a huge field. I just we're just covering in a couple of minutes there. How about true love? How about love and communication? Communication first. Okay, so maybe we can simply break one you can communicate perfectly every time with everybody doesn't happen two you can't communicate at all with anybody doesn't happen or three we can communicate partially and understand more or less right i mean when you're re- like when your doctor's you know is is giving you orders of a prescription and you read the, the medicine label you're not you know and you follow the you know the the instructions to take you know the, the z-pack for however many days etc 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 i think you understand what's going on right there's pretty clear communication there. To say there's no communication doesn't make any sense. To say we perfectly communicate doesn't make any sense either. I mean, just hang out with me and my wife for a second. And, you know, I'll <laughs> go after <to> that one. <laughs> <clears throat> the problem's on my side, mainly. You seem to understand my joke, though. Wow, I guess we're communicating. Interesting. <clears throat> But this applies to divine-human communication. So I want to. This is a, 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 a sort of a chart I stole from Schaefer's book. You have God on one side, so you have the attributes of God. He communicates. He loves. Again, there's that's a huge topic in itself. I'm just going to say personal, and we can you can sort of fill in your definition there. On the side of personal we have man. Man was made in God's image, right? There's a gulf here and here. I'm a differentiated by from animals, plants and machines. I'm 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 way different than them in some order. Yes, there's lots of similarities in terms of we can see lots of behavioral similarities between us and animals, but on the level of perception of many things, I'm we're all the same. Right? God is transcendent and we are all finite. We're all down here. But this is interesting. God has revealed that we're made in His image. And so what's, what's cool is that the problem of God communicating with man is not of an absolutely different order. It's not like over here, right? Because we're made in His image, we would expect that actually and He, that we can actually understand Him to a certain degree, and that we can actually understand each other because we're made in His image. Not fully, not exhaustively, but to a certain degree. It's a kind of a simple point, but does it make sense of no, that otherwise? I don't get that information it's that I communicate with humans, and I can understand some of that. And in fact, I can use that to understand the communication that he and I have. Let's talk about love. <clears throat> love I'm not sure what that means. Love is love. It doesn't anything yet. <laughs> Good. So far, a great conversation. Or, kindness is everything. That's also interesting. If you want a nice, sort of, relatively recent philosophical treatise on love, from a kind of. They bring up some good questions. I'm serious. One of the main points in the song is they say, if you don't know truth, then you don't know love. Very interesting. We have social conceptions that are, that, again, at this point. That's the reductionism. Oh, we can explain love. It's just this reduction to the very... ...that are activated, and that's what love is, right? And we can, you know, we have all this... There's a nice, a nice little study from Harvard. Right? It's this chemical, complex, chemical sort of dynamic that's all about trying to preserve the species. That's what love is. Marriage that they enjoy, would say, or has, a, you know, a relationship with someone that they, they care about, with a child, with a friend, anything... Would say like that really encapsulates what love means to them. Now, it's like so John Lennox has this great example. It's like you have a poem and you look you you and that you analyze the chemical makeup of the ink in the poem and you're like oh I understand what's going on here. Well the poem has a message that utuation that's going on here. What happened to that? You don't understand the poem or looking at a painting. I know the chemical makeup of the paints. So what? It's a picture of my mom. You know like come on. Clues, there's something more, right? I think that's what I'm trying to say. C.S. Lewis said it like this in terms of beauty. What more, you may ask, this is in The Weight of Glory, an essay also I recommend. What more, you may ask, do we want? Ah, but we want so much more. Something the book's on aesthetic sea beauty or experience beauty. Or see beauty, sorry, see beauty, though God knows that is even bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. It's very interesting how he, how he words things, right? He really gets at essences of things. To be united with the beauty we see. That's what we want. To pass into it. To receive it into ourselves. To bathe in it. To be... we have here on earth, they don't quite do it for you. Yes? Does it fulfill your need completely, perfectly, always, 100%? That has to do with the Trinity. That's why the poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a human soul, but it can't. They tell us that beauty born of a murmuring sound will pass into a human face, but it won't, or not yet. For if we take the uh, imagery of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the splendor of the sun, then we may surmise that both the ancient myths and the modern poetry, false as History may be very near the truth as prophecy. There's something deeper, something more that's there that I can't quite put my fove anchored in the Trinity. Schaefer claims, actually, that he would be agnostic if, if there was no trinity, which is very interesting. He says we would have no answers philosophically if there's no trinity. So look at this. There's the universal. Here's the, here's the foundation. So the existence of love has not been rooted in chance, but in what or who has always been. That's a very important point. Go back to this. The complex dynamics, what's that all about? That's rooted in what? If there's no God, if we're just here somehow on things that are living, love is developed just by chance to propagate the species. So that's, that's at the bottom, that's as most as it can mean, right? It's a, it's, kind of a, it's a very limited answer. I think this is a much more comprehensive answer. Here's two reasons why. Are you following me? You're with me. chance then, once again. That's... When we see... I can understand something of the love of a couple walking arm in arm. I, because we are image bearers of God, we can... Why? I'm made in God's image, you're made in God's image. We are interacting in ways where we're showing love. There are clues there. I'm not sure why there's this other... I don't know, there's some typos on the, on the screen there. There's some clues there about what? About God's love, right? We are separated Again. This is supposed to read the line of anthropology. I'm not sure what's going on. But the point is, is that here's me, here's other people. We can communicate. We can love. We can interact with each other. We can observe each other. That gives us a clue that there's something going on. Correlation. What has been revealed that's above, that's, that's always been there. A trinity of the trinity. Ta- and, you know, For eternity past, this community of love relationships... When I look around and I see the love that I have between humans, myself, and other humans, that makes sense, because there's something that's always been there. There's a meaning there. You follow me? That's much different than rooting it in chance. How about this? And here, this sort of speaks to the capacity, my sense of relationships, right? I mean, really, because the Trinity is there, there's a transcendent love. Human relationships just kind of touch that. Let's keep going. Again, I feel like I'm not doing these. But again, the point is, do any of these things take hold in your mind that you're interested in? I want to go deeper with some of these things. I want to think about it some more. I want to talk about it some more. We'll talk about that at the end. How about man's dilemma and the solution? This is really interesting. What does it mean to be human? Who am I? Huge topic. I think for this generation coming up, extremely important. I haven't studied this out a ton, but I really think it's incumbent upon us to help the next generation really understand this and think about this and study in terms of discipleship with them. I'm finite and personal, right? You know, man has fallen, right? But I'm not just evil completely, am I? We do, people do amazing things whether you believe in God or not, right? Very noble things. Why? We do very cruel things, we do very noble things. We're personal, we want to have relationships, and yet we're limited. Well, what's sort of the traditional, modern, psychological, sociological, scientific view? So this article by Kim Holmes, here's Freud. He made it clear that the source of man's biological and cultural evolutionary progress, self-denial, was also responsible for the tragedy of the human condition, namely repression, eternal psychic ambivalence, Chronic. I don't even know what that means. Eternal psychic <laughs> Whatever. <clears throat> Etc. Interesting quote from Skinner. I'm not going to read these because I got to get moving. DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. What is? What is it, What are these things saying? That we're man is determined genetically and environmentally by the by the by these factors, right? And again, it's governed by chance at the bottom. And that's what you are. You're the product of... Right? That's just, that's just sort of what's wrong with you. We'll just reprogram you to get over these evil things. But it's interesting. There's this very interesting kind of antithesis that's, that, that exists um, in, in, in the, I think, the modern viewpoint. One man has always been as he's been, right? Too small to address the issues of evil and cruelty. And or, or, on the other hand, with enough effort, we can be reprogrammed to be good. But it's very interesting to see these two things. Okay, I have a long quote here next. Has anyone seen this picture before? I want to read some of it. It's 6.4 billion kilometers away from Earth, outer reaches here of the solar system. It's looking back at Earth, takes this picture, and there's this ray of sunlight, and Earth was just captured in there. Where that red arrow is, you can't even see the dot. That's Earth. And this is just the solar system, right? Now we see pictures from James Webb. Have you seen those pictures that have come out yet? You should check it out. Unbelievable. Of like, Hubble's like this, and then it's like, boom, right? Like, the picture of just thousands and thousands and thousands of galaxies. This is the little solar system and a little part of our galaxy. Really fast, if I can. Because I think, I mean, it's, I know it's, that's here, that's home, that's us. What I want you to think about while reading this is... Do you see the kind of the the struggle and the inconsistency between the two points in red that he brings up? Hmm? Mayday. There we go. Look again at that dot. That's here, that's home, that's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, the aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions... Ideologies, and every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader. every sane sinner in the history of our species live there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in the glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds, our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Blah, 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 blah. What's the point? He says, to me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we ever known. Does this seem confusing to you? Do you feel the do you see do you sense the confu- do you see the confusion there's like obvious confusion but are you are you sensing it deal with our to deal more kindly with one another I mean you're measure zero of importance you're in the in the solar system no one cares about anything right i mean it's in terms of a size perspective again just there's no noise coming from that little dot it's nothing think about the universe it's even more nothing nothing so then, what the heck is Carl talking about? What responsibility? From a size perspective, we have no meaning at all in the universe. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance. Do you see the hood of the contradiction there? If we don't have self-importance, then why should we become... Why are these things evil? Why are the endless cruelties bad? Aren't we just on this dot in some remote corner of some solar system in some galaxy, <laughs> one of millions in the universe? Who cares? You see that, right? We're, man has always been too small. We're, we're nothing on a little planet in no- nowhere land. But let's be kind to one another. Opposed to one another. Bad answer, Carl. Sorry. But very popular answer, right? That's, that is the answer these days. What's the Christian, Christ, well, I should say, what's the biblical position? Is a metaphysical one. We just, that's how we've always been. There's no changing that. But the biblical position is very different. There's a moral problem. The moral, there's a moral issue. There's a moral reason to our dilemma. And I've talked with lots of people about this at my university. Yeah, I don't know. Most it's like I can't make too many head. Re- too many. Maybe maybe I'm maybe in Laza's form. Like I'm the problem. That that's you know like you said yes. Don't be the problem in the communication against the people. I don't know. It's been revealed. We know. That's where objective moral law is. Right. Things are good because God is good. Not because he wills it or blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Get that nonsense out of here. God's character is what sets moral law in the universe. And if it's broken, that that means man is truly guilty relative to his character, relative to who God is. And the biblical answer is that man is now abnormal. Right? There was an actual point in time in space history, space history, in space time in history when man fell. So you, when man didn't fall, Man was in communion with God, not alienated from God. Man fell, right? Man had a free choice to rebel against God. Again, as a much better fit to what our problem is, but clearer and logical reason as to the problem we're in now than to the one we just heard. Mm? At, least this, this, at least this has a, a logical consistency to it. What's the solution? The solution is this. Thus, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just. He's holy, yes, And the justifier, he shows mercy to us of the one who has faith in Jesus. This makes logical sense. Why? God has revealed himself as just and merciful. Again, the modern church, a lot of the modern church messages concerning the gospel is that God is what? God is love. You can't trust a God that you need to be protected from, do you, can you? I mean, can we trust a God that we need to be protected from? Have you heard that message before? Or even just kind of tweaking the, the crucifixion, the, the whole central point of the gospel, you know, that's divine child abuse in a sense. Like God is, like we don't, God, like what is this? Like this? How can God inflict his, how can he inflict his son with all this, this wrath and pain? And well, Why can't God just forgive us anyway, right? Come on. Just forgive us. If I forgive you, if you ask, you know, you're repentant, you're, you're genuinely, you know, realize that you're a sinner. God says he cares about evil, right? But what also is interesting is this. there's the documentary What is a Woman? was not so much all the gender stuff and the ridiculous conversations. It was more the idea that the conception of reality is like so wacky with some people. Like pediatricians who are like caring for and giving, you know, kids care and and, uh, their MDs and they're, you know, advising families on what to do with their kids. And it's like, what version of reality do you, do you believe in? You know, it's like, they're, like, they're, they're totally cool with, like, to, like, alternate versions of reality in terms of that. Not, not in terms of, you know, probably their taxes or their, you know, their bills or many, many, many other things. Sure. That's one theme I, I really want to stress is sort of this... This is this things be true at the same time. Right? So I, I use this example in my class. I'll just use it now, and then we'll, we'll close in a second. Um, if you came up to, and this is, this is a, anyway, if you came up to my wife and I, and you, you, know, and you, uh, you were talking to us about kids and this and that, and for some reason you ask her that, just be careful, I guess. And um, she says yes, but I say no. You wouldn't leave the conversation saying, oh, that makes sense, right? Would that? Would you be, Would you leave just being completely content? with that's clear. Oh, clear, obviously. Now, what would you? You would say, "Oh, he," you know, "she hasn't told him, or he's confused, or something," right? You wouldn't leave and be like, "Oh, that makes perfect sense." But look, this is the this is the value of Christ's death. God does not have to surrender his absolutely holy character. That's why Christ came. If God can just forgive us, if he's just merciful and not just, evil violates who he is, and he's going to do something about it. He's a God that does something about it. But he does not have to violate our significance in order for, for him to be able to pardon guilt and restore man's... This is the very opposite of denial, denial of antithesis and his insignificance in modern man's leap into the dark, which says somehow we must believe with, without reason that God is just love. A moral absolute remains, and yet there is a solution to man's of those who put their faith in Jesus. We communicate it, and I think that's the point, is what are you inspired to wrestle with? Are you earnestly contending for the faith? A good way to do this is in small groups. We do this at Brunswick. You know, and we have... People just sort of picking topics and presenting to each other, and we, and we critique, we think about it, we talk about it. Are you studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? That's, that's all of our responsibility as believers. And um, I think I want to stop with that. Any questions? These are the main references. Those last three points, these least form, this form, are mine, basically. But Ron, in the back. Yeah, back to who sorry Oh Charles Malik Yeah yeah That's right, culturally, so that's a great distinction. That's a good point. Especially these days, it's different than 1980. I mean, one sec, let me just respond to that. Yeah, um, that's a good point. We, there is a marginalization points, but I would say, what's the solution then? I would say we need to be, we need to really be proactive in, on the individual top down, right? I mean, I think it just, we, but, but the idea of, like, my point with the form is if we can't articulate our faith, that wasn't a takeaway. Is that how you felt? here and then we'll go back Yeah. going back to God's love actually God is the only love that's really the meaning to God, I don't want to believe in a God who is not trustworthy if it leads to evil and the good the same way why would I want somebody that I that I bow to and then worship if he has? If because all of a sudden how do you deal with evil that just the, the, right that's the summary of what we heard, yeah Dave and then we'll go back to Tom up on Ron's comments of uh, Malik has maintained in uh, Scandal of the Evangelical Mind that Christian with the pressures that have been put on Christianity by Dawkins and uh, Christian faith. And then, so what does Christianity do? But it just relies on whatever we can figure out on our own as to Chap, how we just not we're not working at the same level? And so uh you know, we are to serve God with all of our hearts and our strength and our mind. And the mind part has fallen out. Other than Schaefer, there hasn't hardly been anything in the last what sixty years or so that really confronted. I would say William Lane Craig is one who has done he's done a lot. And John Lennox has been doing things too. But yeah, I agree. That's the point. Gener- a number of generations have gone on, maybe. so that's I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Tom. One of the greatest sledgehammers can be used against truth these days is consensus, oh science consensus, the doctrine consensus, uh, you know, environmental consensus. But the bloodline is consensus hundred um, and fifty two or three years ago. And it wasn't true. Yeah. And th- I agree, and that's the challenge. Is is sort of, is how do you even have a conversation when someone has alternate realities in their mind about what's going on, like with kids and things like this? It's sort of, you know, you watch it on the screen. I don't. Know, I haven't talked to too many people like that, but I, it just it kind of blew me away. Of like, how do you even communicate with someone who thinks that reality is just whatever? Hit them in the face and then see how the they respond. I didn't really. I didn't. It wasn't me. Part of, the communica- part of the reason is those things are... It's communicated. So, Tom was saying, or... Yeah, but I think... Again, I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating that, you know, you sort of... Your goal should be to climb onto the world right in your own backyard of where you are. Right in your own life. And then the people in your life. You know, are we getting together and really... I think part of living out the gospel is living with confidence that, like, this makes sense. And you should want to live this way too because it makes sense of reality. And my life actually goes a lot better that way. Not that my life is rosy. You know what I'm saying? On a temporal level, as well as the main point is eternity. What are you going to do? Right? Danielle? Maybe love isn't this, you said? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) We all need, right? No, I'm (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sorry. I think, yeah, kids are smarter than we think. Yes. You know what I mean? Hmm? She was saying that she homeschooled her. Introducing your kids to good materials like this is important. Improves your also. It improves your English also. Thank you. <laughs> um, any other questions? We're a little bit... We're kind of on time, which I'm surprised. Very willing to, yeah, I'm very happy to share anything that I, any resources I have. So, let me know, please. It's, 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 you have a minute. Also, there is tremendous contradictions in what the atheists come up with and their logic. Of course, the most famous of them, or one of the most famous is uh, Sir Dawkins, who speaks of love and kindness and people are nice to each other, and at the same time speaks of the selfish gene that cares about nothing. Except it's on well being and reproduction. Mm-hmm. They don't completely they don't exist again. They're completely contradictory. They that's right. That's right. Other thoughts, comments, questions. I hope this was useful for you. That's my that was been my prayer. And uh, yeah. Let's let's keep talking. I'd love to have conversations with any any of you that if you want to talk about these things or mm-hmm. Thank you.